0: Before we get started with the uh, sermon this morning, I wanted to um, point out something to you that I hope that you'll take advantage of and um, take on your way out. Um, At the next steps table, um, you will see one of these. Um, This is the Annie Armstrong uh, prayer guide. Um, We are uh, a little behind. Normally, churches do it before Easter, but we'll do it Easter week. It'll be fine. Um, So take one of these, pray through. Um, The Annie Armstrong uh, offering... Uh, goes for North American missions. So you may be aware, you may not be aware, that um, we have two mission agencies. We have the International Mission Board, um, which takes care of missions basically everywhere not in North America and Quebec, right? Basically non-English-speaking missions not in North America. And the North American Mission Board, which takes care of Missions in the continental United States, but also in English-speaking Canada, because you may remember that Canadians speak two languages. Um, So at Christmas, we remember uh, one of our beloved missionaries, Lottie Moon, and take up an offering in her honor for the International Mission Board. And at Easter, we do so in honor and memory of Annie Armstrong for, for home missions, is what we used to call it. Um, for North American missions. And so this is one of the envelopes, so grab that um, over the next uh, several weeks. Um, pray about uh, how you feel like God may be leading you to, to put a little extra in for home missions. Um, what this does, is it goes to support all sorts of things, not the least of which is church planters. Um, uh, there is no denomination in the United States that is more active in church planting than the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, And in fact, soon, I don't remember what year it is, it's like 2028 or 2030, we will have more churches established since the year 2000 than churches established before the year 2000. It's pretty awesome. When you consider that we're not the only church in the Southern Baptist Convention that was established in the 1700s, that's a pretty awesome task that they are engaged in. So I would encourage you to grab that. Um, We are starting today... uh, It's actually going to be a series. We're not going to spend just one day on Easter this year. We're actually going to spend this month, um, the rest of this month, uh, on Easter and on the implications of Easter and on the implications of the resurrection uh, and what it means. And so we're starting there uh, today um, and we may actually be starting in a place that you're not expecting us to be on Easter Sunday. We're actually going to be um, in John 11. We're going to be looking at the story of the resurrection of Lazarus actually, um, and we're starting there and, um, to understand um, some of the implications of the resurrection, in particular today, looking at the Christ-like nature of the resurrection. So we're going to be in uh, uh, John chapter 11. We're going to be starting with verse 17. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary and to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. This is the Word of God. Read it. Believe it and live it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we gather this morning, this resurrection morning, to, to, to spend time with you and spend time in your Word, may, may you offer to us the same compassion and comfort that you offered to the grieving sisters, Mary and Martha. God, we know that your breath alone brings life to dry bones and weary souls. And so this resurrection day, pour out your Spirit upon us that we can face despair and death with the hope of resurrection and faith in the one who not only caused Lazarus forth from the grave, but in his own resurrection defeated the grave forever. God, as we turn to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. Maybe seated. So it, it is Easter Sunday, it's resurrection Sunday. It is it is that day that we gather and we remember. It's it's not just a day for Easter bunnies and 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 chocolate eggs and egg hunts and and, and good food and gathering with family, although we do all of those things too. But the primary reason, the only reason, for Resurrection Sunday is to remember the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is central, and this is what we're going to see and understand over the next several weeks. Is that without the resurrection, none of it matters. The resurrection of Christ proves the power of Christianity. You know, Easter is is, is not just this one day, but it's it, it's this whole event together. And in, in this event, we, we see Christ's death on the cross that, that pays for our salvation. We see Christ's resurrection that, that proves Christianity and proves once and for all that He was who He said He was. That He was, as, as Martha says here, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We also, we also see that, that, that dedication to Christ is in practicing the teachings of the living Christ. That, that if He is the living Christ, that, that He has some power over us to tell us what to do. The greatest words ever uttered in the history of mankind were those words that were uttered to Mary and Mary at the tomb. He is not here. He is risen. And as we read from Luke this morning at sunrise service, if you were with us, why are you looking for the living among the dead? The most powerful words ever spoken in the history of humanity. And if you think about it, there are a lot of powerful words that have been spoken in the history of humanity, aren't there? The most powerful ones are he is risen. Because if Christ is not risen, then what I do every Sunday is in total vain. Your faith is in vain. If Christ isn't risen, then then we're all liars and false witnesses. And if Christ is not risen, then we are still dead in our sin. The story of Lazarus is an interesting place on your part. Maybe you're thinking this is an interesting place for me to be this morning. But... But it's important for us to remember that John is, half of the book of John takes place the last week of Jesus' life. We, we, we lose sight of that sometimes, I think. And so this happening at, at, at Bethany with the raising of Lazarus is just before Holy Week. In fact, if you, if you click over, you'll remember that the triumphal entry happens coming out of Bethany. Well, why was he in Bethany? He was in Bethany because he had gone to see Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's, it's right there. And so for the, 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 those first disciples in that first century, they're going to experience the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus within, what, maybe a week and a half of each other. We're not entirely sure how clear, how, be- how far... How long Jesus was in Bethany. And so in case you don't remember, this wasn't obviously the whole story. The story is this. Jesus is back in Galilee. He's left Judea. He's back in Galilee. He receives word that his friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, that Lazarus is sick, that Lazarus is very sick. And so he actually tells his disciples, we're going to go, but we're not going to go right now. We're going to go and we're going to wait so that God can be glorified. And at the time, the disciples had no idea what he's talking about. And so they leave and they go. And as we read this morning, by the time they get there, they find out that Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. And so Jesus has this exchange with Martha that we read today. He also has a similar exchange with Mary. Mary finally comes out to meet him. He has a similar exchange with Mary. It's in the course of that exchange that we get what everybody who's ever been through Vacation Bible School knows is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. The story continues and they they come to the tomb and Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and Lazarus who well well first there's this wonderful detail that John includes where Jesus tells them to open the tomb and they sort of say, um, you know he's been dead for four days? He stinketh. But Jesus says, nope, open the, open the tomb. They open the tomb up. Jesus calls Lazarus out. And, and, and in, a, in, a, in a, a scene that would probably have been fairly comical, if you read the text carefully, you understand that he comes out bound hand and foot. So if you're bound hand and foot, how are you? Are you walking? no. You're hopping. Maybe this is where the Easter bunny comes from. It was originally Easter Lazarus hopping. And it can so on and continues. We find out after this that because Jesus has called Lazarus out, that Jesus has shown that he has power over death, that this is when the plot to kill him kicks into overdrive. What's interesting in John, the way John writes his gospel, there are seven signs in John, acts that Jesus is involved in that John identifies as as miracles of Jesus that he does to prove his authority before the ultimate sign, which is the resurrection. This is the seventh, the raising of Lazarus is the seventh of these signs. The first is the turning of the water into the wine at the wedding at Cana. The second is the cleansing of the temple, which John, John tells us that Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. The other uh, gospel authors show us that he also cleansed the temple at the end of his ministry. There's the, the healing of the nobleman's son in John 4, the healing of the lame man in John 5, the feeding of the multitude in John 6, the healing of the blind man in John 9, and now the raising of Lazarus in John 11. John likes the number seven. He he gives us seven signs. Now we know, right, these are not the only miracles that Jesus performs, but these are the miracles that John shows us. Why is the number seven? You know this, right? Because seven is the number for perfection and completion. John is showing us that Jesus perfectly is who he says he is. John also gives us another seven. He gives us seven I am sayings of Jesus. Now, if we remember, if we think back, we think back hard, we'll remember that in Exodus, God tells Moses, Moses will ask God at the burning bush, who are you, who am I to tell the Israelites you are? And what is God's response to him? I am who I am. So there's this understanding that 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 phrase of I am is connected with Yahweh, connected with God, connected with him. And so when Jesus says over and over and over and over again, I am, he's making a point. He makes seven I am statements in John. This that we have read today, I am the resurrection and the life, is the fifth of the seven. Those seven are this, I am the bread of life. As bread sustains physical life, so Christ offers and sustains uh, spiritual life. I am the light of the world in John 8. To a world lost in darkness, Christ offers himself as a guide. I am the door of the sheep in John 10. Jesus protects his followers as shepherds protect their flocks. I am the good shepherd also in John 10. Jesus is committed to caring and watching over those who are his. Here in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Death is not the final word for those of us who are in Christ. And then in the, the, there are two, the last two are in Jesus' conversation with his disciples that happened at the Last Supper, the last night of Jesus' life. In John 14, we read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then a little bit later in John 15, we read, I am the true vine that by attaching ourselves to Christ, we enable his life to flow in and through us. And that if we are connected to the vine, we cannot help but bear fruit. But, but here we have this fifth one, right? I am the resurrection and the life. And I, and I can't help but, but really believe this is it happened so quickly soon before his own resurrection, that on that first resurrection morning, they're going to be remembering what happened a week or so before in Bethany. We, we don't connect them together very often. But I think the disciples would have. And they would have been there when he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. See, there's, there's power There's power here. There's power in in saying you're the resurrection and the life. What is this life that God is calling us to? It's it's an enjoyable life. I think there's this attitude sometimes that if we're living for Christ, we've got to be miserable. And that's that's far from the the reality. It's an enjoyable life. If, If you don't enjoy life, then you don't know Christ in a personal way. Now, I'm not saying if you don't have, have off days, right? We all have, we all have off days. There, there are all of, for all of us, there are days when we wake up and it is gray and rainy and yucky outside. But I'm talking on a day in, day out basis, day after day, month after month, year after year, if you do not enjoy life, then you do not know Christ in a personal way. Because it's a joy to live and serve Christ. In John 10, Christ tells us that a thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come so they might have life and have it in abundance. The life that we're called to is is an enjoyable life. And this attitude that we have sometimes that we've got to get rid of all the fun stuff in order to be a Christian... Well, first of all, let me posit that a lot of the stuff that you've got to get rid of isn't all that fun to begin with. I mean, the sixth or seventh day in a row that you wake up with a hangover, you start thinking, maybe this isn't that much fun. But also, the things if we're doing, the things that we're called to do, we're going to live life abundantly because that's what we're made to for. So we're called to have an enjoyable life. We're also called to have an exciting life. Christ wants our, our, our joy to be full and complete, but, but there's also a, a challenge every day in serving Christ. We're, we're challenged to, to overcome sin and live a successful Christian life. And, th- and that is exciting. I think one of the problems that a lot of us have right now is life is too easy. If you just think back, for a lot, some of you even growing up, and certainly for most of you, your parents growing up, there was no running to Food Lion, was there? There was no ordering it on Amazon. There There was no, oh, the house is one quarter of a degree too warm in here, so I'm going to go bump the thermostat down. We worked. For the overwhelming majority of human history, we've been challenged. And now we're we're living in a time in which let's remove all of the challenges. Let's make everything as easy as possible. Let's let's be lawnmower parents and just mow everything down in front of our kids so our kids are never challenged about anything. And heaven forbid they stub a toe or lose a ball game. We're, We're meant to be challenged. We're meant to to live a life that challenges us, both physical life but spiritual life. We're also called to have a life that's eternal, to have eternal life. We we know that, right? In John, John 3.16... Those who believe in me will have eternal life. But also in in John 14, these these last words that Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, but believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have would have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be Also, you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas, the one always willing to ask the question, Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know where you're going? What are you talking about? Jesus responds with one of those I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't come to the Father except through me, but if you know me, you know my Father, and you will live eternally. So there's there's power. There's power in this idea that he's the resurrection and the life. There's also the pardon. Jesus says right right there, even if he dies, even if he dies, he will live. We're called to 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 live, not to not to be dead. Without Christ we're we're dead in sin. Without Christ, we're, we're dead in Satan. But with Christ, we're to, we're to die to ourself so that we can live for Him. We allow the life of Christ to drive out sin, to drive out Satan, and to drive out ourself. And there's this last sentence, that's last, last statement in verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What a pointed question to ask Martha. See, the first part of that is a promise. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's, that's a promise that Jesus is making. But there's also concern. On his part, right, in, in the asking of the question, "Do you believe this?" Jesus is making a promise to Martha on the basis of something that has not yet happened—his own resurrection. You know, we talk about the fact that Jesus weeps on the way to the tomb, even though Jesus is going to Lazarus's tomb and he knows what's about to happen. He still weeps. Likewise, right here, he makes a promise to Martha on the basis of something that has not yet happened—his own death. And resurrection. You know, we talked about that the raising of Lazarus was this, this sign, and it is. It is one of the signs, but but it is not, even though it is the last of the seven, it is not the ultimate sign. It is the penultimate sign. The ultimate sign is Christ's own resurrection. And so this morning, we have to ask ourselves the same question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that the one who believes in him, even if he dies, will live? Do you believe it? Do you really believe that Christ rose from the dead? Or is this just a Sunday to get dressed up and put on your new tie and hang out with grandma and eat some good food? And maybe, if you're really lucky, steal some chocolate from one of the kids? Because that's great. I wish my grandmother was here to hang out with today. I wish I had remembered to buy a new tie and not wear the one from last year. But the real question, the real question is do you believe that Christ rose from the dead? His resurrection proves that statement from Martha, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. For without the resurrection, he is not. Without the resurrection, he is not who he says he is. He's a liar or a fool. But if the resurrection is true, if this Easter morning you can say, I believe that this is true, it changes everything. But we joy and challenge, and power, and promise. Several years ago, when we were in, still living in Williamsburg, in fact, it was before we were married, I don't remember, we may have been dating, but I think it was before we were even engaged, I had the opportunity to go to church on Easter Sunday, which was not always the case. I didn't get to go to church every Easter Sunday. And I went to church. It was a church where we were married. Because this is not a terribly flattering anecdote, I will refrain from naming the church. And I was super excited because I I got to go to church one Sunday in four. And my Sunday off just happened to be on Easter Sunday. And so me, Carter McNeese, bachelor Carter McNeese, got myself out of bed early enough, not only to go to church, but to go to Easter sunrise service. And then I went and I ate pancakes at one of the 18,000 pancake houses in Williamsburg. And then I went to church. I was so excited to be there. And that church service started just like this one did. Christ the Lord is risen today. And I looked around and I was sitting in a group of people who were miserable. There was not a smile in the room. There was no joy in the singing. Now, they were dressed up. And they had all their kids and grandkids there in a row, all in their matching little suits and ties. Everybody was in their pastels. It was Easter Sunday on the outside. But on the inside, there was no joy. There was no promise. There was no life. So, do you believe it? (laughs) Let me rephrase that. Not a rhetorical question. Do you believe it? Then let's live it. We're going to sing, low in the grave he lay. You don't know that one because no one knows that hymn by that name it's up from the grave he arose because it's not Easter if we don't sing Christ the Lord is risen today and up from the grave he arose if while we're singing this if you wish to come forward and pray if you wish to come forward and make a profession of faith unite with this fellowship just just come forward and say to somebody else I believe it and I'm going to work on living it this is an opportunity to do that stand with me as you're willing and able